In a world full of anger, strife, and plagues, a constant struggle is battled out between good and evil, right and wrong. And for over seven years, the IndieCast is here to try to make you forget all of that. With interviews, pop culture talk, and the best in sexual innuendo. So sit back and relax as Chad, Zach, and Luna welcome you to the IndieCast. Exclusively on the Wrestling Nerds Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the IndieCast. I am Zach Romero. Uh, and since uh, Chad is off doing Chadly things and uh, Luna is working on the finishing touches for the highly requested Nova Lions tease, uh, joining me here on the episode right before our eighth anniversary as a show is none other than the Dairy Dynamo himself, the Blue Cheese Meanie, the Asiago Ass Kicker, the Mozzarella Monster, he is 100% ready, Chetty. Ladies and gents, open your ears. It's the cheese. Cheese, thank you so much for joining us. Wow, I don't even deserve that. But there was an episode that I listened to very recently that uh, kind of like the roles were reversed, and there was a different T-shirt being talked about than this Nova Alliance garbage that you guys are producing. Of course, the folks over at Fully Gimmick don't produce any garbage. I understand that. but Right, right. But uh, perhaps not to your liking in the design department. Well, yes, uh, last week we did. Uh, I did speak with uh, Captain Aaron Nova, and I uh, I did happen to mention that uh, Luna was working on a gigantic stack of of Cheesemania shirts. So, uh, yeah, there's been a little bit of a culture war here in the workshop, but uh, you know we we want to help everybody. You know, if I could just get Luna's seal of approval on Cheesemania versus Nova Alliance. I mean, and... you know, I, I've been very, <laughs> I've been very surprised that that has not come up that uh, I think, and maybe it's because Luna and I are not super in the public eye in terms mm-hmm. of the pro wrestling side of things. We're just sort of a merchandise brand, sure. but uh, I have received no uh, invitation to the Nova Alliance or to Cheesemania. So, uh, or y'all elite as it were. So, um, uh, so I don't know. It's up in the air right now. But but what is not up in the air, uh, because I have to fill in the seat for uh, Chadley, is uh, we have a little something we like to call the lightning round. Now, Cheese, I know you have uh, haven't done like the full gamut of wrestling podcasts because there are 18 trillion of them yet. But uh, just to sort of tell your future for a minute, you're going to get asked a lot of really, really boring questions. Uh, that you're going to have to answer a thousand times. So we're going to burn through some of those here in what we like to call the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a couple of uh, very uh, low-hanging fruit-type questions, and uh, you answer them as as in-depth or as shallow as you would like. Uh, Does that sound good? Can't wait. Wonderful. So first question, uh, where did you train and when did you debut? Uh, Lethal Academy, Jay Mm -hmm. Lethal. Um, and that, which included David Mercury as, as well as most recently, uh, big Ryan, big Connor. Um, and my debut was, uh, it was a, it was the Alex, uh, Payne, uh, tribute memorial show. Uh, that was probably what, two, three years. I can't remember exactly how many years, but it was in the, it was in a rumble. And, impressive. Uh, I impressive. got I got eliminated in like the first two minutes, which was fine. I was just so happy to be out there. <laughs> I was gonna say beggars can't be choosers to start with, but excellent work. Uh, now, beyond just training, what is your earliest wrestling memory? Oh, yeah, beyond training. So my earliest wrestling memory. So, um, watching NWA Sting with my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. Um, this guy was, I looked up to him in every single way. Uh, he was a real, like he was a man's man. He was in world war two, got a purple heart. He went like after the war, he was a coal miner in West Virginia. I mean, this guy, I, you know, I do physical things for my work now and, and always kind of have been, but, I was nothing compared to this guy. And he I'll say that is literally the manliest man I've ever heard of in existence. He was he was the 
biggest pro wrestling fan. Like he, he, we religiously had NWA and then eventually WCW on the TV. Um, and when he would go to the VA, he would, um, he would request that they put on wrestling and they watch it. And so I always watched it with him. Uh, Sting was his favorite and therefore Sting became my favorite. And it was, um, just early, early, um, uh, days of, um, you know, Sting and NWA and, and WCW and kind of switching back and forth. He did not like Hulk Hogan was not a fan. Um, so it's cause he, you're, that's cause grandpa cheddar was a real goddamn American. That's why he was, he was absolutely, he was the actual real American. I mean, he was just died with a head full of hair. Um, uh, and just, you know, hanging on to the last minute. He was a, just a tough SOB. I just imagine he was ripping a guitar solo, not like the one like they, they gave to Hogan and he's like pantomiming. Like, yeah, he's imagine really... that your grandpa could actually rip a hell of a solo. <laughs> if he, I'm sure he could have if back in his day. I mean, he just he was just a true Renaissance man. And like um, watching it with him was just really super special. And then uh, beyond that, you know, when whenever he passed his his wife, you know, who I affectionately uh called my nanny uh we all called her that but she we watched wrestling to be to feel kind of close to him but then she kind of fell in love with it all over again so for years after he passed i, I would watch wrestling that was during the time where it was like you'd you'd switch from nitro to to raw to, to raw of course so um so you mentioned wcw so was your household mainly a wcw household oh, during man. the monday night wars Super, yeah, for for sure. I mean, it was all the way. I I kept with Sting throughout the whole whole way. Um, I was. I, uh, I immediately, by the way, I picture like 1996 that there was like an adolescent goth cheese era because <laughs> because Sting went crow goth. So I feel like you just followed suit. <laughs> You're, you're absolutely, uh, you're, you're correct. It's almost like you had a camera in my house. I was like, <laughs> I, cause I did, I had the surfer sting cause for a long time I would dye my hair blonde. There, I mean, nobody, like, nobody told me to, I mean, I guess it was subconscious because of sting, but I would dye my hair completely blonde. I mean, I started out with lighter colored hair as a kid. And then it just, as I grew older, it just became kind of really dark brown and and then i would just dye it and 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 i keep it real short and then when when the crow sting as some call him you know when he started coming from the rafters that's when i just let the hair go and you know imagine this chubby little kid just you know wearing all black every (laughs) i get my hands on and it was just oh man The, the the posters you know it was like i had all these uh, old, you know, 96 through 98, whatever years of Sting, but these posters just all over my wall. I was such a Sting fangirl. It was unbelievable. Uh, but I, I was like, I thought it was so cool looking with the black clothes and, you know, people were like, oh man, this kid is going through this goth phase. And I was just this fat little kid just. Yeah. Meanwhile, you're like, Sting is WCW. He's going to crush the NWO. Like, yeah. I remember pleading. I was just like, why? Why would you turn NWO? Scott Steiner, how could you? Why did you do this? <laughs> that was, that. that's, that's real true heartbreak right there. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's something to be goth about. Yeah. Now, um, now, speaking of being goth, I do want to know, uh, as, as, a, as a fellow movie guy, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, yeah. um, what is the last movie that made you cry? Oh, man. What made me cry? <sighs> I, that's going back to it's probably it's been a while since a movie made me cry. Um, what about tear up? You don't have to full on blubber, but like maybe like a tear. Yeah, a little, uh, I think um, I think a tear came. Is it? I'm like I don't. I'm sorry. 
for everybody listening to this. Dribble. I'm like, just too manly. I'm just too damn manly. No, definitely not that because I'll cry like, you know, nobody's business. But, like, I don't know. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of one that goes to my – because it's always just, like, for me, it, when I watch a movie, it, I'm it's it's either with one person – one singular person doesn't have to be anybody in particular or it's by myself, which I usually prefer. And so if I'm watching something, it's like something's going to make me tear up. And then after it, I go back into normal life and I'm just like, I never cried before, you know, like it. So it, um, when, when captain America picks up Mjolnir, that doesn't, that's nothing. You just watch that, that like a robot and you're like, mm, okay. That just makes me stand up from whatever chair or whatever I'm sitting in and just be like, yes. Oh, you know what it was? And this is, uh, this is going to be so stupid, but I don't care. I mean, it's, it's my thing. I know there was a lot of criticisms of this movie, but the man of steel, when Kevin Costner, um, goes over and, uh, Clark, his son is standing there and they're between, between them is that twister that's coming through. Mm-hmm. And, He's walking over to him and he knows he can save him. He's Superman at that point. He's got the ability to swoop over, save his dad. But because there were people that could have seen him and his and Kevin Costner was just like takes the one left hand up, puts it in the air and kind of halfway waves it just barely. And it's and it's Costner. He's given you pearls of a performance in a movie that it probably didn't belong in 100 percent agree yeah like but, well, okay all right but he goes and he you know he just kind of like son you know like in inner monologue and you know probably but he just don't you know i have to and that's the ultimate kayfabe right there it, he's just like don't and he waves them off and then his dad's gone and then he just shrieks you know clark is very upset obviously because it's just now i started tearing up but under further review of watching it again i was like this is so stupid he could have just been so fast and saved him and why did we have to watch jonathan kent die like come on (laughs) yeah like in the comics he dies of a heart attack and that's the big lesson there is hey there are still some things that superman can't stop correct this was the exact opposite of that. Like, no, this is absolutely a thing that Superman can stop. Like, very easily, in fact. But I, but as a as I try to be a moment to moment guy, you know, yeah, for the most part, no, you absolutely it, get caught up in that. Just like if that ex, it, if that existed in a vacuum, yeah, it's it's heart wrenching. But yeah, as soon as you start putting thought to, you're like, hey, wait a wait a minute. <laughs> I can like, do whatever he wants. What are we doing here? Exactly. I, you know when that. But yeah, that that's one that I just remember just kind of off the cuff there where where it did make me I was just like the sacrifice he made for his son just to keep his son safe. But then, like I said, think back down to now, you're like, God almighty. Why didn't he just get he just go? No one could see. It's, like, the, ulti- it's the ultimate like crossroads between for me, you know, uh, in, in wrestling where, when you're talking kayfabe stuff. And when you're talking comic book stuff, you're, you're just like, on one end, it's like, okay, protecting, protecting. On the other end, it defies all the logic for all these years of all these DC comic books I've consumed. Right. <laughs> so that actually leads me to my next lightning round question. Are you more of a Marvel or a DC guy? So um, I'll split it if I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marvel, for the movies and cinematic universe they've done a beautiful job with that much better than, than the DCs in my opinion, even though I just referenced a DC movie. <laughs> right. But, um, so Marvel cinematic universe for the films, but DC comics, like the, and the graphic novels and trades and everything all day for me. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge Grant Morrison guy. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I need to give Grant Morrison another chance. And I, and if there's anybody, I know uh, Sussman might be listening to this and he's going to, he's going to yell at me about this, but like really my big exposure to Grant Morrison was um, all-star Superman. Yeah. And I super didn't dig it. 
And I just was sort of like, as, and at that same time, he was just hitting a hot streak where like DC would just give him whatever he wanted. So he yeah. also came up with like the, there's a crazier Batman that lives subconsciously in Bruce. And I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah. But I know that Grant Morrison has written some unbelievable stuff. And I want to check out like Doom Patrol and some of the other titles that he's worked on. Um, Animal Man, and and I, I want to go back and check some of that out because I feel like I just happened to pick up a couple. I used to work at a comic book shop a million lifetimes ago, mm-hmm. and so picking up just a couple of random you know issues and thumbing through it and being like, what, the, what are we looking at here? I think turned me off to somebody who is very talented. Yeah, so you know, if you didn't like All Star Superman, I shouldn't recommend this to you, but I'm going to flex a little bit and say Wonder Woman uh, Earth One. That okay. wrote give that a shot and i think that like for me i i enjoyed all-star superman but i gotta tell you it it took me a little it took me a little while mm-hmm. um f- to get kind of through it um the the anime uh, the, like the the drawing was what really drew me in more than morrison did at first quietly mm-hmm. uh, um i just love his his style it's just so beautiful and just the way it it moves on the page for me is just it's really it's slick in the most unslick way that you could possibly be um but yeah well, look at look at morrison too for like for new x-men like imperial uh x-men stuff and then okay. there's this one there's this one really dopey thing he put out that's in dynamite that was um dinosaurs versus aliens i'm interested Super weird, right up your alley. Give that a shot. It'll just, it's not going to blow your hair back, but it's going to get you like, okay, I kind of see the wavelength and I'm going to mm-hmm. go. But yeah, you referenced the Batman of uh, Zurin R. Yeah, like that to me, that blows me away more than anything that a guy could come up with an idea that, you know, we all, or at least I love the idea that Bruce is the mask and not Batman. Mm-hmm. And, and so to take that another step further, that if Batman loses his ever-loving mind, there's another Batman buried so deep in there that nobody could even screw with him psychologically to the point that he they can beat him down. It's like he's got this whole other Batman of another universe just like buried into his subconscious. It's it's to me it's beautiful. <laughs> so so let me ask you this: What yeah. would be Let's say you you somebody comes in off the street and they're like, "All right, I want to get into comic books. What's what's the graphic novel to really hook just a random superhero person?" That's a good one too. Um, probably. Just from from my perspective, some uh, some you know something along the lines of Watchmen that's like you know familiar, um, I or something you know like Kingdom Come to me is like because you've got some a lot of familiar characters in that. I mean, as a trade, you know. Mm-hmm. But you've got a lot of familiar characters in that, and you're seeing them in a different light. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think something kind of that fits into pop culture lexicon that's you want to draw somebody in. This will get you on the tr- like a kind of a hot trail. So, so yeah, something Alan Moore, Watchmen. That's interesting that you picked those because you picked two titles that sort of like deconstruct the superhero. I know. Extent. Which I mean, if it was somebody who had like only seen comic book movies, I think that would be really interesting. Um, unfortunately, all of my, all of my like touch points are all a thousand years old now. Uh, but I would normally I would like try to pitch somebody on like Red Sun Superman. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know the origin of Superman, yeah. but what if it was turned on its head? And what if instead of Kansas he lands in Russia? And then it's like, well, now what happens? It's like, well, the government you know, definitely gets a hold of him and makes him like they're not only they're like super soldier, but also they're like propaganda machine. And... That's an, yeah. That's another, like, 
good uh, almost deconstruction i mean it really rips it apart of what what we all know and what we love but that's kind of what i'm going for if i'm telling somebody about watchmen is because like you know you've seen superheroes you've heard them mention you heard about them you've heard their story but then here's another way to look at them and then what, what what it'll do to me or at least is what it did for me is it'll it'll cause you to do some more research and you'll kind of go down this path of just like, Oh, well, in this story, I see why they even wrote this. This story was good. Now my final painfully specific uh, comic book question. Were you reading during the time of flashpoint when that was like the big event thing? It was like a long ass time ago now, but when the flash accidentally caused this chain reaction that like changed our whole world. No, um, so I, I wasn't so, reading consistently then, though. No. So the concept was uh, the Flash, like, wakes up one morning. He's like, wait a minute. I can run so fast that I can go back in time. Yeah. Why don't I just go save my mom? Like, so then my dad doesn't go to jail and, like, my life rocks. Like, why have I never thought of doing that? So he does that. He goes, he jumps on the cosmic treadmill and goes back in time and goes and saves his mom and it's like okay cool everything's gonna be cool well then he wakes up and it's like back to the future part two where like everything's bad and he's like what and so what they did was dc didn't stop any of the other titles that were happening it just randomly picked up as though this was the new universe Mm. so it was uh, Nightwing and the Flying Graysons. And it was like his whole family was still alive. And he was like touring Europe as like a traveling circus act and never became Robin. And then it's like, you know, Superman is like, it just was this kind of chain reaction similar to like Red Sun, where yeah. there was just all kinds of like zany kind of odd ideas. Um, uh, the Amazonians had become like a warring nation against the uh, Atlanteans. Mm. And so like there was a world war that happened literally between the two of them and like other countries kind of got caught in the middle. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was bananas and it was really interesting. Oh, uh, the first big reveal is uh, well, the flash doesn't have his powers anymore. And he's like, what the hell? And so he's like, I gotta go find Batman. Batman will know what to do. So he goes to Gotham and he finds Batman and Batman is like Bruce Wayne. Batman is Thomas Wayne. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, what the hell? And so it's a whole big thing. And it was a really interesting story. And it was kind of like um, almost like a one-up contest between all these writers. Like they'd be like, oh, you did this with Wonder Woman? Well, guess what? Now this is a thing. How you like that? And it was just kind of interesting to see like where everything's sort of picking up. Where we jumped the shark was DC decided, oh, this would be the perfect time to do a hard reset and reboot the universe and like try to start selling different comics and basically just like clean the slate and start all over again. Right. So it went from like, a, Oh, this is sort of a fun, like what if sort of scenario that's got some like spinoffs and it became this like, Oh, it's a cataclysmic event. And so when flash like fixes it and saves the day at the end and everything's supposed to go back to normal, it's like, Oh, now here's all these new DC books that are kind of like weird and thrown together. And now like we're rewriting our history as a, as a, as a format. And, uh, and it was just like, well, what? And so that ended up being a bummer because it felt like this was going somewhere. And it was like, Oh, this will be an interesting little story. And then it ended up having importance kind of shoved on top of it. And that sort of soured the whole thing. So I can't even fully recommend like go read flashpoint. Like, yeah. Uh, supposedly DC is going to try to take elements of it and make it like their multiverse sort of movie. So we'll see, but right. um, that's my very painfully specific comic book thing. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about here that involved movies is that uh, you are one of the few, well, you're the only guest that we've ever had with a former employment at blockbuster video. That's right. And so I want to talk to a little bit about that. Are there any blockbuster related traumas that still live in your mind? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was a manager for like three years at three different locations in Gainesville. Um, 
cool place to be. They were franchised, uh, locally owned, that sort of thing. But we still held the Blockbuster logo. Mm. So two two things stick out specifically. Talk about maybe not maybe the second one's not so much a trauma. The first one was uh, maybe eh, wasn't too much of a trauma. But what happened was is I was uh, still real wet behind the ears. I had just left a job because I was in college. And I'd left a job at uh, Books a Million. And, Amazing. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was like I was a barista, and then I was like their logistics specialist. They're like, you look like you can lift some stuff and uh, check some boxes and uh, stand in the back where nobody sees you. And I'm like, yeah, I can do all that stuff. And they're like, all right, you're our logistics guy. I'm like, cool. And uh, then that got to where it was just too much, and like. Like, it was like weird call-ins and whatever. And so I just went right across the street to Blockbuster. I applied. They gave me the job the same day. I went back across the street, put in my notice of Books a Million. Then I was working at Blockbuster. <laughs> and uh, That's an upgrade. That's, I consider that an upgrade. Huge. I loved it. I didn't, I didn't absolutely hate Books a Million, but I did. Like, there were, there were just so many problems with the people you know like not everybody i made some good friends there and there were some fun people but there there was management yeah it's been you know the story of anybody's life management is what it is at at time you get the wrong person in there it'll run anybody off um but maybe my second week um i was in the pit as they call it and you know manning like two different registers because we had cut down you know we closed at midnight we had cut we you cut shift back, um, you cut labor hours back at around ten, if it starts slowing down, and so there was maybe two of us in there. There was a manager and myself, and the manager was up in the office where they could see everything with cameras and two way mirror and all that kind of stuff. It was a, I don't know if every blockbuster had this because I didn't go, I didn't work for any corporate ones. I worked for those franchise ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still ran like a corporate store, in my opinion, better because we had stricter, way more strict s- stuff. Like you had to ask for people because it was a college town. So you had to ask for people's IDs for when they were renting because old roommates would run up a tab and um, oh, very true. leave late fees and so on and so forth, which leads into this next thing where I'm, I'm alone. The, the manager's counting down the register. It's like 1130. And this this guy who's, I mean, I think even his head was jacked. He was massive. Like, he wasn't a football player or anything that I knew of, but he was just, like, completely enhanced. And just, <laughs> like, like ultimate warrior level stuff. And uh, But had a real short haircut, had a bad attitude, came in, and... You know, I had to, I walked out there uh, on the floor and I just said, Hey, uh, let me know if I can help you find anything. And, um, he was just like, eh, gave me a little grunt. And it's like, you know, half the people do that. So I go back to, the pit, I, I wait on him. I give him his face, give him his time. It goes to check out. And I said, uh, I need to, I need to ask you for your photo ID when he gave me his blockbuster card. And I was like, or he says, uh, why do you need my photo ID? I was like, oh, it's policy pointed to the sign. We had a sign. It's like, you must show photo ID at this location, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I, I even went into depth and I did the whole like, well, it's because people can do this, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, I don't have my photo. I'm like, sorry, man, I can't, I can't rent to you. And he was just like, I, I was like, if you, if it's out in your car or if you need to run home, I can hold these videos for you. As long as you're back by midnight, you know, I was trying to do the whole customer. Right. You're trying to help him out. I'm trying to trying to hook him up a little bit and go on the extra mile for the client or for the customer. And he's like, if you don't rent these movies to me right now, I'm going to whip your ass. And I said, over some movies. I mean, (laughs) don't you have some at home? (laughs) So my customer services went out the window. I'll say, that's what we call a slam, and well done. <laughs> and he's just like, he's like, uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, when you get off, bro, I'm going to be waiting for you outside here in the parking lot. I said, all right, you you can do that. You're more than welcome to. I'm, I said, you may be a little bit bigger and tighter than me, but 
I've never backed down from a fight in my life. So wait out there for me if you want to. He's like, I'll be waiting on you, bro. So I went out and, you know, we got, we got done. We counted everything. And I told my manager what was going on. I was like, so if there's a fight, um, just know I didn't instigate it. And this is what <laughs> happened. He was like, oh, you followed policy. Good job. Even even under threat of violence, you followed policy. And then he used that as like an example, like, oh, TJ did this. And, you know, he made sure that uh, <laughs> we followed the ID protocol, even with somebody threatening to whip his ass. And uh, anyway, the guy, was, you know, he was he was not there, but <laughs> he, he decided not to stick around and wait on me. But I was I would have been sat ready. in the car and he went, you know what? I do have movies at home. <laughs> And uh, like, I love telling that story because like, there's so many ways it could have gone. You're talking about multiverses and stuff. Like, what if I'd have fought that guy, or what if that guy, right. you know, he if he would have reached over the counter to fight me then, or what? Yeah, you know, there's so many things that could have happened. But I was just like, the best thing that I could come up with that would come out of my mouth is like, don't you have some movies at home? You. Can- <laughs> But uh, fiction, cheese. <laughs> but the uh, the other one is like there was a local. Uh, uh, the the other story is that I, that always it, it actually happened a lot more than once. But there was a local indie uh, video store, and um, that was closer to campus. And they the the folks there had this whole thing where they told all of their customers, "Hey, if you come." And uh, we, you let us cut up your Blockbuster card. Um, we'll give you one free rental. So I never had any issues with them, like doing that. I even yeah, that's just a marketing thing. Like yeah, okay. I was like, I was like, yeah, no, no problem. And um, it, and and I again, I I it, so it was back. It was akin to what you're into these days. Um, they had a bunch of VHS tapes and and a bunch of horror movies that had not converted to dvd at that point Mm. and so it was a hot thing for any you know film nerd or any person who enjoyed you know classic cinema to go over there and just grab their vhs or whatever they had because they would um they weren't strategic about it that's just like that's what they had for years and years and years so um but anyway like this one guy kept coming in and he kept asking me like, Hey, can you print me out another card? And I was like, sure. And I actually got weirdly kind of enjoyed it. Cause it was like, you'd have these little laminate sticker things. You'd print out this card from this DOS like printer machine and it'd have their little barcode and it'd have their name. I can see that there's like a tactile response to that sort of thing. Right. Like it was a little baby good. arts and crafts break. It, exactly. It was like it was a little happy place for me in the day because every single day you're you're making new Blockbuster membership cards. But this guy, like almost every single time he came in and it was before I knew about their little marketing that. Independent oh, so you're just thinking this guy's just dumb as hell and just keeps losing his card. Exactly. And that's how ah. I found out. So I'm like, I'm like, dude, why do you I was like, I was like, I don't have a problem with it because we have unlimited uh cards here and they're free to get and i'm always going to print you one out but like don't you don't you ever want to just keep one in your car you want me to make you two so you can keep one in your car it's like he's like no 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 bro uh i forget the name of the place but he was like i would go into every time i go in there i'll get some old because they're closer to me but you guys have a better selection so I would, get, I would get something during the weeknight and they would just say, cut up your blockbuster card. And I did it like, you know, hundreds of times and they just, you know, keep renting free movies out to me. I'm like, these are terrible business decisions on their part. Right. Yeah. That's a, and, and the fact that like no one picked up on it on their end either of like, Hey, this guy keeps coming in with a new membership card. That's weird. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's like, I don't I don't think they had enough employees to be like, oh, I never noticed. But it's also like to try and explain that to somebody. They even put it in the uh, in the student newspaper there. It's like as like a story. And so a lot of people kept doing it. But they they thought they were fighting against the heavy handed corporation of blockbuster video. But 
in actuality, they're fighting against a local business that was locally owned by people who own, you know, they don't get me wrong. They had money, but like they owned other local businesses. And the only yeah, reason it, it, it wasn't this uh, act of rebellion against the man. It was like an act of rebellion against like Greg. Exactly. <laughs> Which ironically was uh, it, it, may he rest in peace. He, he passed away. But it, that was my uh, general manager's. Uh, that was his name was Greg. Get, get out of here. I'm not even joking. It's good. Good guy. Loved him to death. But yeah, that was, it was a weird, it was such a, it was, it's, it's kind of a strange thing. I've kind of made a habit about that before I worked, did like work in, uh, government and, and worked for Tampa international airport and things like that. Like I worked for franchise businesses. I worked for a franchise Sears. I had millions of jobs, like, it's not like I couldn't keep a job. I've just been working for a long time. But like, no, let me ask you that. Yeah. So does that play into how you see wrestling at all? Like as someone who, like you said, it's not like you're getting fired every 10 minutes, but you've just yeah. worked all, a lot of your life. Does that kind of work ethic and, and point of view, does that play a part in how you view wrestling? I would say so. Uh, in a lot of different aspects um is it takes prioritization it takes it takes a lot of review in your in your head you know when you start a new job or you have a different job or you've got any kind of work ethic you're just like you're not necessarily being a goody two shoes and thinking how can i make things better tomorrow right you when you go home and you either whether you're you know having dinner or you're doing something like you try and get all that out of your head, but you're still thinking about it. And you are maybe subconsciously thinking, what can I do to make this work uh, better? Uh, what can I do to make it easier? You know, that sort of thing. So yeah, that, that plays in. And I've, I've always watched a lot of wrestling and I think that element of it plays in. But it's also like, I think a big part of it, what plays into, and I guess this will go into work ethic, but it's reading the room. Mm. You got to read different audience. It's funny that you mentioned that because I definitely know that that's a skill that is not come, does not come naturally to all people. I definitely know a few wrestlers in my day who always struggled with that, that would always, you know, even though they had a good head on their shoulders and, you know, they were trying to be respectful and trying to, they would still come away from shows and be like, yeah, I pissed off like five people. I'm like, how do you do this? Cause they don't know how to read the room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's to me. It, yeah. You can, you can have a, a guy that's like a complete package, but they could. And a lot of times what one thing they'll be missing is that ability to read the room and not just read the room for just one particular audience. It's like, you have a bunch, you work a bunch of different promotions that we have in Florida that we're lucky to have. And you go, their audience is completely different. That's why I'm always kind of, <laughs> I'm a little bit like if it's in front of a crowd, I haven't been in front of before. I'm like, Ooh, are they going to be, are they going to like the cheese? Are they going to be lactose intolerant? I don't know, but you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's, I think it's that, I think it's the, I, I think that's a big thing that's kind of paramount to your success and whatever kind of career you have whether it's you know you're working in a mail room or you're you know body slamming people true very true so i guess the my 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 question i should ask here is where did the the idea of the cheese come from like you're putting together this this idea that you know this is going to be your persona for wrestling and you come up with the cheese you know i gotta i gotta give some credit to to jay lethal of course i give jay lethal credit and everything and he'll probably say quiet uh, don't tell anybody this guy this guy named the cheese i don't want to tell anybody he's my students weirdo but no uh i i do have to give him a little bit of credit because you know there comes a time when you need to whether you are regularly because you don't hear a lot of them, or at least in my opinion, you don't hear too many of them live uh, on the indies. But it comes time where you got to learn how to work the stick, and you got to 
cut a promo and it came that time for us. And while I was wobbly and still trying to get things figured out while others had, you know, who were more athletic than I am figured that part out a lot quicker. I knew that I could run my fat mouth. Um, so I had kind of a little bit of a, uh, dialogue kind of planned out and I was not the cheese at that point. I was, I was not planning to be the cheese. I was, um, I was going to be, <laughs> this is so stupid, but <laughs> I, I was going to be the Tej. Cause everybody called me Tej growing up, you know, the TJ, mm-hmm. Tej, you know, the, the Tej, it's the Tej, you know, that, that was kind of a thing that people, a lot of people called me still do. Uh, a lot of my really close friends call me that. And they, um, uh, we, it came time for my promo and the big thing that came to mind and I hadn't seen it in years, but it stays with you forever. Once you see it is the, uh, the classic Chris Farley, uh, as Matt Foley, mm-hmm. uh, motivational speaker, and he said, you know, not only does he say the part about living in a van down by the river, but he tells everybody that they're going to be living off a supply, a steady supply of government cheese. That's right. Yeah. And so I said to everybody that's there, which is more nerve wracking. I've said this before, too. It's more nerve wracking when your audience is your peers, because True. you want to you kind of have a cool factor. You want to impress. You want to say you want to feel like you've done the best. And or you just want to get through it and not feel awkward. So there's that element of it. But my but but my audience is my peers. And one of the audience, you know, who's judging me, obviously, uh, who's not a peer is my teacher, mentor, Jay Lethal. And he's and so uh, Rod Grimes happened to be in the room. And uh, so I guess I can contribute part of it to him. I can contribute the whole thing to him. But that's another side story. Um, uh, but I cut the promo and part of it was it was like i got some questions why do you you know what's everybody we're imagining here and i said what's why why are we all assembled here in this bingo hall why does everybody here um look like they can't move out of their chair because they're so fat and why does everybody look and smell like they're on a steady supply of government cheese and excellent okay it, it fell silent and um and i you know directed it at rod grimes and you know and, and jay lethal just said you know that wasn't bad uh to, uh why are you so mad at him why are you why are you so mad at that government cheese and <laughs> from then on he started calling me government cheese. And then as we all do, when you have a moniker or a nickname for somebody, it, you, you shorten it as best you can. So it rolls yeah. off the tongue easier and he just dropped that and he started calling me cheese. And so I saw an opportunity and I said, you know what? I'm going to be the cheese and I'm going to personify cheese. I'm going to actually be the cheese. I'm not cheese. I am the cheese. And so, then the moniker started taking off and started carrying cheese whiz cans with me <laughs> off to the races. <laughs> so let me ask you this, because I have seen it firsthand. I've seen crowds who are familiar with you. I've seen crowds who have never seen you before. And, you know, basically as soon as you come through that curtain, people get it. They're like, this is our, this is our guy. Um, you know, you're whipping, craft singles into the crowd and, and, and it, it, it connects. It really does for something as so absurd. It really does connect. But let me ask you this. Has there been an idea either you came up with or was suggested or what have you that was so absurd that even you drew the line that you were like, okay, okay. I, I get that. I'm the cheese, but come on. Uh, in the uh, yeah, I, uh, not not yet. You know what's what's great? It, it's a blessing and a curse that so many people have a lot of ideas mm-hmm. about what the cheese should be, what the cheese should say, what you should do. There's a lot of already used puns that people throw at me, to, and but I 
I remember them all and I write them, I write most of them down, especially the good ones. Um, but uh, the Gouda ones, see? Oh, hey, it's, here you go. He did seeps, it. We got it, folks. We got it. <laughs> it seeps into like every part of your subconscious almost when you're talking about it so much and thinking about it. Cause I do, but I don't think there's ever been anything that that's a boring answer, but I don't think there's ever been anything that's just like, no, don't, don't do it. I think the biggest thing is like, despite what non-Captain Aaron Nova will say, um, I try and clean up every piece of cheese uh, that's thrown out. I try and I'm pretty, <laughs> I try and make sure it doesn't get on the canvas or get stuck to the canvas. Cause I don't want to get that kind of heat. That's um, true. And and it's and it's disrespectful um, to the ring, so I try and keep it out of there. Um, so that I think that's that's mostly where I draw the line. Is like, ironically, I don't want to get I don't want to get cheese smeared into the canvas of wherever I am. Um, but I so I try and go and pick up any pieces that I see, and I also you know you also want to be a good steward of whatever venue has been nice enough to have your whatever promotion you're working with there. And so you want to clean kind of clean up after yourself and, and that me, especially because like if there's a million cheese wrappers and pieces of craft singles out everywhere, then people are looking at me. So true. that's true. <laughs> so uh, I draw the line at littering and smashing cheese into canvases people. That's smart. That's very smart. Um, and as for the puns and, and things that you've been, you know, that people have mentioned to you and you go, oh, okay, great. Uh, one, uh, Dick Danger used to, we, he and I had a conversation about that because when he and I had first kind of talked about that persona and, and running with it, we actually had a completely different idea, um, which I, I don't know if he's going to mind terribly with me telling this, but originally, uh, because, uh, Dick Danger is a huge Rocky Balboa fan. Mm-hmm. He loves an underdog story and loves the Rocky movies. So originally, he was going to be uh, basically Little Mac from Punch Out. That was the first gen idea. And we were kicking around names, and the name that I came up with was uh, I, I wanted a name. I thought he should go with a name that was very obvious. And so <laughs> the name we came up with was Johnny Punch So Much. And the, <laughs> and the concept was. That he would, and hey, if somebody else wants to take this idea and run with it, go right ahead. Um, this is the free. idea was he would always relay back to things that like his grandmother would tell him. Yeah. So in promos, he would be like, "Well, you know, Nana punched so much. Always used to say, <laughs> it's not how hard you hit him, it's how hard you quit him.' And that, <laughs> and that, that was the whole idea." And so we're dying laughing at this. We think this is a great idea. And then I realized that um, although he doesn't have a gimmick, anything like this, there is a wrestler named Johnny Knockout. And uh, so we were like, oh, that's going to be weird. We don't want to do that. And so we ended up putting that in, in the wayside. And then suddenly, you know, he did a 23 and me and realized that he was actually Dick Danger. And so um, <laughs> in the beginning stages of that, he was running into something similar. We're like, fans would come up and make terrible dick related jokes to him. Yeah. And I could see that it bothered him. Um that he was like, "Ugh, am I just like a circus clown? Like what are we doing here?" And so this is my advice to anybody in wrestling who has something like that to where it's like you've got something that really connects with people but also it kind of feels like an albatross sometimes because people will come up and tell you some stupid joke or something or whatever. They're trying to be clever and it's like, "Hey, I want to kill myself." Um, to you as the performer, that's the thousandth time that you've heard whatever the hell there is that they're saying to you. Correct. However, to that person, they think that they're the cleverest bastard who's ever lived. Yeah. So all you have to do is just go, <laughs> Ooh, all right. All right. That's yeah. it. That's all you got to do. <laughs> and they're going to go, yeah. And they're going to buy a shirt. That's all you got to do. Don't go. Oh yeah. I've heard that a million times. You just go. <laughs> all right, buddy. All right. Yeah. You want to buy a shirt? That's, that's all you got to do. And you know, everybody goes home happy. That the, 
employ of oh okay all right all right and that whole cadence and everything just works in so many aspects of my <laughs> life <laughs> be far beyond cheese but also like mostly in cheese but like you know with my business and everything it's like anytime somebody says something especially when they think it's like the most original thing oh man let me tell you all right i understand i see what you're saying i see that you got some big equipment here farmhand (laughs) it's yeah it's like that okay all right simmer down now all right mrs jones yep that's right okay i see what you i'm picking up what you're putting down that's you know, it. That, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. It, it's beautiful. It works. It's like, you know, I. but when it comes to, you know, them coming through the merch line, it, it definitely works. But here's the thing. If you're making, which is probably one of the best decisions of your life to buy a cheese mania shirt, mm-hmm. then let me tell you something. You're like family. So guess what? That idea you said, oh, man, your match was so cheesy. Ha, 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 ha. Then I'm going to be like, I love you so much. $20. (laughs) (laughs) You buy this Cheezomania shirt. I won't slap you for saying the (laughs) dumbest thing I've heard all day. Um, So speaking of uh, things smothered and covered. um, Yeah. Now you've been, you've existed mainly in the South for most of your life, correct? Or are you Northern boy? Oh, no, definitely in the South, you know, North Florida, which is basically South Georgia. Right. True. True. (laughs) Uh, So I guess my question for you is uh, when you're on the road, you know, you're making the drives as uh, as uh, Uncle Bob Evans likes to say, and there's a rumbly in the tumbly and it's time to uh, pull off and, and grab something to eat. What is your preference? Do you prefer Waffle House or do you prefer IHOP? Waffle House all day. Really? Yeah. Waffle House because... I like that you said that like it was a little shameful, too. Like, you were like, Waffle House, really? <laughs> well, but... you know, if you if you, if you you are putting those two up next to each other, and somebody could call this the most absurd thing that he's ever said, and I'm be fine with it, but, like, I'll stand by it. It's like, I uh, I hop... You said I hop, right? Yep. Yeah, if you're putting Waffle House up against IHOP, it's like uh, you're less likely to get stabbed or burnt with a cigarette when you're in IHOP than, as opposed to the Waffle House, in my experience and, and opinion. <laughs> because, true, true. Like, and, and also, you know, it's it's just it's just what was close to me whenever I was growing up. Uh, small rural farming community up in North Florida we got us a waffle house off of i-10 so we didn't have no fancy ihop fair enough we you know but also like if i'm gonna be honest you're talking about smothered and covered and capped and all the good stuff there i i I love a good i love a good waffle house but you know on the other side of that coin i've only ever been into a waffle house um really on accident you know, it's always after something when everything else is closed. True. Uh, super late. And kind of in the shadows. But when I'm there and I'm and I'm, I'm with a friend, you know, who which it's always been. It's been we've either been out imbibing or Yeah, I was gonna say if you were telling me like, yeah, I love going to Waffle House and I go there stag, I would be like, <laughs> Oh, we got some deeper problems we're gonna have to talk yeah. about here, cheese. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that's a that's another podcast, brother. I mean, <laughs> the stag at the Waffle House podcast, hosted by the Cheese. Oh man, there was, yeah, there. I've I've only ever been there with with close friends, and it's it been late at night, or you know, I've really needed that grease. So, <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so I do have a couple of uh, of official IndyCast questions other than the lightning round that I, that I'm contractually obligated to ask you. I understand. And so uh, let's, let's really take the, the, the air out of the room here. So unfortunately in the incredible performance art 
that we all love here, known as professional wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, we lose a lot of talent early. Yeah, uh, it's a hard life to live, even now, even with you know the 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 modern you know um, quality of life improvements and and attitude changes in wrestling. Wrestling is still a very hard life. So that being said, which ghost of wrestling, be it a wrestler, a promoter, a manager, what dead wrestling personality would you have loved to have worked with most? Oh man, that is such a good question. I mean. Well, in our, in, in, as, as uh, you know, it's not by accident. We have been doing this for literally eight years now. So we've worked it, out a lot of kinks. It, it, but it, it doesn't have to be somebody that's like, oh, they were so young, does it? It nope, could be nope, nope. any nope. ghost of any ghost of wrestling. So I would, you know, I would immediately uh, go and pick Dusty Rhodes mm. because you know, and part of the, a lot of the mannerisms you get from the American cheese is coming from the American dream, you know, mm-hmm. and just hard times, you know, inspirational. I mean, if it could be, it could be passe, it could be something that, you know, many other people would say. Uh, personally, for me, it's, it's because he was one of the wrestlers I watched along with Sting that I watched you know growing up with my grandpa and it was also he he knew how to read a room mm-hmm. okay Very true. he knew how to read a room he knew how to talk and he know he knew how to dance he knew how to make things happen in the ring and when people when he came out and all he had to do was just move just a little bit people were so excited to see him i mean you can't deny that but then also uh, I recall um, something that uh, his son, Cody, said in, a, in an interview, and I can't quote exactly the interview or the timeline or anything like that, but he said something to the degree of, you know, he spent a lot of time with you if he wanted to fix you. Like, mm. if you were like this perfect specimen um, of, a, of an athlete and of a performer, like a John Cena or something like that, it's not that... Dusty Rose dis- would have disliked John Cena, um, but he didn't have a lot to fix on John Cena. You know, he wouldn't have a lot to fix on John. He could he could tweak his performance. He could give him pointers. He and I'm sure he did because if you have access to Dusty Rhodes at any point in your career, why would you not go to him and be like, "Hey, please, what can I do?" And he'll give you the you know I'm sure he'd give you the hey baby you know and mm-hmm. give, give you the whole thing. And that's what I'd be doing constantly because there's a lot of broken things I think that Dusty could fix in me as a performer and and probably as a person too. But like he, I think that his connection with the crowd was is so massively, um, in some weird way, underrated. Because and I'm not saying that like people there were people that didn't like him and all that kind of stuff, but like. You think back to those cheering, pleading, screaming crowds where it's all just pure. And that that was who he connected with, and the audiences now, you know, or, or over the last you know t- fifteen, twenty years of his career, or when he was announcing at WCW or anything like that, or working behind the scenes or whatever, they got the hit of nostalgia of, you know, Dusty Rose. And I, and I did to a degree cause I caught the tail end of his like heyday, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like you get the nostalgia factor with him, but I would just love to know what it had been like to just kind of talk with him and see what he could fix in me and um, see what I could learn from him. I would be an annoying pest for him probably, but I, <laughs> I also, <laughs> I also feel like I could have connected with him on a, on a level that's just like, and I'm not trying to say like, Oh, I'm so, I'm, I'm so freaking awesome that I dusty Rhodes and I would be equals. No, that's not it at all. But like, I just feel, um, I, I, you know, you, you blow up these ideas in your head. Cause I would have no, there's no way to have any idea, you know, if, if it could never happen, but it's like, this is what my impression of it would be. Mm-hmm. To just connect with him and, you know, see what we could work on and also just just listening to him. You know, I, I could imagine what that man could tell you 
No kidding. I mean, and, and that's one of those things, too, is like teaching that sort of philosophy of like whatever you decide on, just going into it 110%. Right. Um, yeah, I think I think we would all be here for a tag team of you and the dream known as, oh you know, American Cheese. So, um, oh my God, so amazing. So uh, so question number two. Uh, we here at the IndieCast believe that every animal in nature is given certain evolutionary traits to ensure its survival. So, for instance, rhinos have the big horns, giraffes have long necks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Our belief is that human beings, as an animal, their evolutionary trait is their ability to use tools. So, the cheese. If you could fight any animal, what would it be, and what weapon would you use? Who? Well, I can't just choose like a, I can't just choose like a little tiny animal. That that would be horrible and no fun, right? It wouldn't be very sporting of you. It's been done. It's been done, but it wouldn't be very sporting of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going for a rhinoceros, but, uh, I will say, um, that if I was pinned you know, I, uh, against my will, somewhere in the so, it's a bear. But which which of the bear can't climb? Which bear can't climb a tree? Is it the black bear or brown bear? I'm not good with my bears. Uh, whichever bear can't climb a tree, uh, <laughs> I want that bear because then I would climb a tree and I would I would use a hatchet, and it would be from an attack position that tool that the, the hatchet multi-tool that doubles as a hammer and a, uh, you know, belt loop carrying hatchet, hand hatchet. And I would spring from the pine tree into his midsection with the hatchet going into his back. And then I could say the cheese took out a bear, ate his honey and, uh, took him down with nothing more than just a hatchet. So, according to what I've found here, uh, grizzly and polar bears are not fantastic climbers, uh, uh, but grizzly cubs can climb a tree Lord. if the spacing of the branches are just right. So, I would say probably polar bear then, because when the <laughs> hell is it going to run into a tree? <laughs> the cheese is dead. Here, here's the other thing. You talk about a polar bear. Like, I'd have to go kill that one at a zoo, because I'm not going anywhere where it's that cold, where they naturally live. Because I, the coldest I've ever been in my life was when I was in Kansas City one time, and it went. The sun went down behind the Chiefs Stadium, and it got down to like 32, and everybody else was just as fine as they could be. There was barely any snow on the ground; they were all good. But when I when that sun went down, I I was a popsicle. I couldn't move. I couldn't feel anything on my body. Like growing up in this swampy southern hemisphere like i'm so i'm not used to like that real actual cold biting chilling weather so i don't know if i'd go after a polar bear i'd, I'd, I'd i guess i'd have to go after those grizzly cubs or something well i mean you and the you know you and the polar bear can sort of meet in the middle like you can go you can like wrestle in like ohio in like you know september that's fair i i would do that book it Somebody book it. Let me give me give me that hmm emoji for a polar bear. <laughs> Every time Laurie Park Zoo is going to post something, you're just going to be like, hmm. Yeah. No one's going to know what the hell's going on. And then everybody at Laurie Park Zoo is going to be like, this guy, he keeps that one emoji, you know, where they're real pensive. Like, why does he keep doing that? And then. And then well, I, look... I, assume, I assume Laurie Park Zoo would act as every promoter does. And when, as soon as they see that, they go, well, we got to book that as the main right now. I mean, somebody <laughs> hit two buttons on their phone. That clearly <laughs> means their main event material, baby. Guys, book it. And then all the employees standing around are just like, what does that even mean? The, the, the <laughs> social media guy. <laughs> so, now it is officially the time of the show where one Brian Cage has given us permission to call Get your shit in. Oh. So, how can people find you on social media? Where can they buy your merch? The floor is yours. Oh, well, let me tell you something, brother. If you want to get down with Cheese of Mania, you go to fullygimmick.com and look 
for the cheese products. You can search the cheese. I've got mugs on there. I've got shirts. I've got all kinds of good stuff on there that uh, many people have been kind enough to spend their hard-earned money on and buy. I'm glad, and I'm so thankful for that. But you can find the cheese on Instagram at cheesethy at play on Timothy. Um, uh, that's the best I could come up with to me because that's my real real name. It's Timothy, so cheesethy it is. I thought you were gonna say that's my real real name, cheesethy. Uh, <laughs> parents, my parents were very strange. <laughs> That's the real reason. Like the whole thing of Jay Lethal, me saying the cheese is all made up. Real name Cheesethy. At Cheesethy. Um, and then the cheese on Facebook. And um, that's that's pretty much where you can find the cheese. Wonderful. Wonderful. And uh, we look forward to seeing the cheese uh, this weekend at yep. uh, Grind Time Wrestling. Yes, sir. And uh, he will be going up against one uh, Captain Aaron Nova in a tournament match. The greatest feud in Florida wrestling right now is coming to a head. And uh, you're definitely going to want to get out there to Sarasota to watch yourself or keep your eyes peeled on social media. Uh, And so, uh, Cheese, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It has been an absolute dream to have you here. And uh, for everyone listening, for the dozens and dozens, and for uh, Chad and Luna, I am, of course, Zach Romero. And uh, until next time, everybody, we will see you next week on the Anniversario Show, eight years deep. We always say deuces. Hope I don't poop today. You're killing your again. A jump scare is the Canadian destroyer of horror films. Pardon me. Might I suck my own dick for a second? I'm ready to greet the day, you fucker. <laughs> Every single one of you guys has made a whole decision. <laughs> it's that dirty-ass Meryl Street. We are, we're touching wieners. Not touching wieners professionally. Ric Flair said fuck a six-pack, and he never lost an ounce of pussy. What I am is a big, queer, stone-cold Steve Austin. Birds don't give a fuck about your life.